0: I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. You know we post on the first and third Fridays of the month. But December 2017 has given us a bonus fifth Friday, and so we're going to use it to do a little retrospective to look back at some of the featured poets and poems from 2017. 2017. We'll start with Mary Panza from Albany, New York, episode 43. Mary writes personal poems, and she delivers them with force. This is not an angry poem is a good example of her work. This is
1: called This is Not an Angry Poem. This is not an angry poem. This is a poem about liberation, mine from you. An actor, Jeremy Irons, once said, there's a fine line between being a perfectionist and being a cunt. That is what you are, Mr. and Mrs. Important cunts. But this is not an angry poem. This is not a PhD perfect for publishing and being the orator of all that is poetic. This is not a perfectly crafted three-minute rant suitable for framing and world domination. This is not a cancer-curing, the blind see and the deaf hear piece of poetic masterpiece. This is a poem. This is what I wanted to say, but I was told I shouldn't say it. And then they all realized I wasn't built for not saying things. This is not an angry poem. This is liberation. This is all bets are off, all favors cashed in. This is me off the leash that I was put on for the sake of peacekeeping. It's over, baby. Mr. and Mrs., you can take your passive aggressive, divide and conquer, what can you do for me, bullshit, and go to hell. This is a thank you poem. Thank you for showing me that I was right all along. Thank you. But this is not an angry, rage-filled fuck you. This is a joyous, bathed in the pink light of love, small-waisted, full-full-hip, middle-aged, perimenopausal, go-fuck-you. This is not an angry poem. This is a poem I've been trying to write for weeks.
0: Now let's go out to the Midwest. Carlos Compion of Chicago in episode 50. I have a book of his poems from the 1990s. And that book includes poems about immigration that could have been written yesterday. This one is uh, subtitled, Can the Enchilada Coexist with the Hamburger? Carlos Campion, episode 50. The poem starts
2: out with, uh, with an apology to the famous author Carlos Fuentes. Because he asked a question on on. National Public Television, uh, when he was doing his series um, on the history of Mexico, he asked the question, the profound philosophical question, and and that is, can the enchilada coexist with the hamburger? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so uh, uh, the poem is called, What Do You Call This Place? or can the enchilada coexist with the hamburger? With apologies to Carlos Fuentes. Arizona has been more than Indian lands, mystical bourgeois Sedona or freshly painted Phoenix. It's been a giant magnetic vortex for all the snowbirds, retirees, Chicago Cub fans, and the starving families who have suffered seeking solace under a metallic sky, fleeing the desert danger, fleeing the narco war, their farms and ranches ruined by the NAFTA economy. These tensions had been present many years, many years before Tucson or Yuma. These troubles started before the Gadsons' purchase. Its roots reached closer to post-war 1848, U.S. ratified treaty, keeping Arizona a mere territory in status for half a century. Now I wonder, Was it merely because there wasn't enough English speakers? Press one to answer. Yes, when did I fall asleep? Because I can't for the life of me figure out when did all these anti-constitutionalists put down their teacups long enough to become even bigger cheerleaders of fear? with their demands to detect and detain all those who might have another language other than English in their brains, especially those who crossed that southern border, not by a boat. These were never anchor babies, not by a plane, and often not even by car, truck, or bike. Rather, people who walked like their ancestors did, far back as seven generations ago. And because of that, I can't believe it's now changed its name to Arianzona. Zona. No, I can't believe it's changed its name to Arianzona. Zona.
0: It's wonderful when poets deal with contemporary issues the way Carlos does. Now let's check out Jules Nyquist. She lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And in episode 47, she treated us to a reading of her Nasty Woman pantoum. Any kind of pantoum is a real accomplishment, and this one is a most enjoyable poetic exploration.
3: So this is called, this is a nasty woman pantoum, and a pantoum is a form that repeats lines, for those that don't know that. I started writing this before the election, and then I altered it a little bit after the election. I suppose I could have stayed home, baked cookies, hosted teas but I've been labeled a nasty woman. If I was elected, I could have slept with an ex-president. The first dude would have played sax full-time. I am a nasty woman. Janet Reno's mother wrestled alligators. The first dude would have played sax full-time. Georgia said, if I painted that mountain long enough, I would own it. Janet Reno's mother wrestled alligators. My life broken, too, right there, Mabel. Georgia said if I painted that mountain long enough, I would own it. I am proud to wear pantsuits. My life broken, too, Mabel. I am fearless on the far side of 50, Erica. I am proud to wear pantsuits with zippers, flying first class without fear. I'll escape to an island. I've had enough. I am fearless long past the far side of 50. Joan didn't sleep with any man who had a draft card. Flying first class without fear, I will continue to work with children. I could have been your Madam President. Victoria Woodhull was counting on me. Joan didn't sleep with any man who had a draft card. A woman without a man is like a fish without a bicycle. I could have been your Madam President. Victoria Woodhill was counting on me. I would have kept abortion legal. Honey, if men could get pregnant, it would be a sacrament. A woman without a man is like a fish without a bicycle. I wasn't elected, but I can still sleep with the ex-president. I would have kept abortion legal, honey. If men could get pregnant, it would be a sacrament. I suppose I could have stayed home, baked cookies, and hosted teas. (laughs) <laughs> and you may recognize some of the women mentioned in that poem. Of course, there's Hillary, Hillary Rodham Clinton, Janet Reno, Mabel Dodge Luhan, which is uh, who started the colony up in Taos for writers, Georgia O'Keeffe, Erica John, Joan Baez, and Victoria Woodhill, who was actually the first woman who ran for president before women even had the vote. Uh, she ran. She didn't win, obviously, but she ran, and then Gloria Steinem. So it's been really fun um, researching these women through history.
0: My new friend David Graham lives in Glens Falls, New York. We featured him in episode 56. He moved to Glens Falls after teaching many years at Ripon College out in southern Wisconsin. David's poetry is straightforward yet complex. And it is characterized by what Billy Collins has called hospitable in that it is welcoming to the reader. I think you'll uh, see what I mean when you hear this next poem.
4: Why I love America. Like America, I love having reasons I don't need. Like, I love the smell of American bubblegum and the imperial amazement of interstates. We invented Interstate's world. And of course, I love blues and jazz and Charles Ives with his crazy fedora. Not to mention Abe Lincoln and Hank Williams. We invented Abe and Hank. I love how we take everybody in and make them America, if need be. From Charlie Chaplin to Bob Hope and Neil Young. And we have the best Cary Grants in the world. I love how, even when I'm not paying attention, baseball is being played seriously in America, played by Dominican, Japanese, and Cuban guys. The world is nuts about our baseball. Needless to say, I adore bluegrass and pale, watery beer, wine by the tanker truck bound for every supermarket, wine so cheap even I can pretend to be a snob the only country where Bob Dylan and Johnny Cash could get famous and rich as singers. We like scruffy, ragged, whiny voices in America, kind of scratchy voice Whitman had. I love skateboards, Motown, self-serve gas, the outer banks and a certain mountain valley in Virginia, filling at dusk with fireflies. Did he have fireflies in Egypt, Mexico? I love the Constitution, Niagara Falls, the Tappan Z, Macintoshes, whether fruit or computer. Dolly Parton, Huck Finn. Put Dolly anywhere else, she'd vanish. I love that Ben Franklin invented the glasses I'm wearing, that he'd started a lending library and even now appears on the hundred dollar bill. And isn't it great how we can call him Ben? You may wonder just how sappy I can get. If there's anything I don't love about America. then I will probably just stare back at you from under my baseball cap, wondering if I'm truly a sap. Well, you're an idiot for asking. The answer is, of course I'm a sap, you idiot. But I hate America just as much as you, granddad America spouting racist nonsense. And there's little need as I see it, to keep enumerating Hiroshima and Wounded Me as if that's all. But anyway, it's all being swept down the big muddy, along with Ty Cobb and Scott Joplin and even old Andrew Carnegie, that heartless penny-pinching Scott that America transformed into a philanthropist at the end. Thank you, Andrew, for my hometown library. So thank you, America, for being big enough to take in all praise and all blame without filling up as the Mississippi and Hudson run into the sea, yet the sea is not full.
0: I met Nicole Yurkaba at a poetry festival in Pennsylvania where she lives. She's a very interesting young woman who introduced me to a lot of contemporary music I was not familiar with. She's featured in episode 38. The poem she's going to do for us now is called Labor Pains. It's about her goth rock teen band, an experience that led her into songwriting and ultimately into poetry.
5: I'll read this poem. It's called Labor Pains. And um, so I got into punk rock. I got into goth rock when I was a teenager, just because it seemed um, like a place where I fit. And actually, my friends and I got together. We decided we wanted to have this band that we knew wasn't going anywhere, but it was just kind of um, an outlet for our artistic and musical expression. And so, mm-hmm. kind of the way I really got focused on writing and um, expressing myself was I started penning song lyrics. And so, this next poem is just kind of going back to that reflection about, oh, this is where it started, you know. Um, This is how I I got interested in not just music, not just subculture, um, not just finding myself and wanting to live in a world where I could freely express myself, but also just tapping writing. So this is called Labor Pains. Two and a half decades too late for 1977's glorious outbursts. Do you remember how the opening guitar riffs of the clashes I fought the law sent audio orgasms into our ear canals. We were black leather-clad, bandolier-adorned, plaid-skirt-wearing, combat-boot-fitted 17-year-old misfits, huddled over a set of tinny Sony headphones in a backwoods high school's cramped girls' bathroom. And we swooned over Joe Strummer's London callings, which beckoned us to dream of some dark alley dive, where our black-on-white anarchy patches God Save the Queen's scrawled wristbands stabbed with silver studs and bent safety pins weren't conspicuous. Some clove cigarette-choked hole where our fish-netted virgin bodies meshed, mashed, sweated, moshed to rock the casbah and train in vain. But the closest we ever came to CBGB's or London's black leather mohawked hovels were my bedroom's confines where after school, we hooked lengthy amplifier chords to cheap Yamaha six strings and tiny speakers. And we strummed maniacal three chord teenage wasteland hymns until our fingers cried blood and our Betty Page style bangs clung to our sweaty foreheads.
0: New Jersey poet, John McKenna enjoys writing about music and is influenced by the beat generation writers, you know, Ginsburg, Corso, Kerouac. I think you'll hear that. It's episode 51, and you'll hear it there, and you'll hear it in this poem he's about to read, which has that kind of high rhythmic delivery. It's called The Beat.
6: This is from Sessions, um, and... Of course, the poem is titled "The Beat," sticking with this this right. kind of this theme for the moment. Sure, the beat. You can hear it somewhere out there, above, beneath, beyond the beat. Near flash panned Mardi Gras horns ripping the purple night, shredding the curtains, letting the window wide wind in, in, and in, close to the doom, 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 doom. doom, doom, doom of the big man bass fully erect yet leaning back like some teed out cat still searching reverberating in wisdom drenched laughter sneaking up from beneath the rattlesnake on fire writhing atop of the snare drum <taposition> while a cobra call <sharp inhale> cymbal brushes glide still lightly and light beside the tap of the certain and neat high-hat, the near-perfect and a punctuation exclamation right in the middle of the phrase, connecting. Almost in the keys, man, glistling, gliding, riding, over top and tiptoe like the feet of Fred Astaire. Up and down the white and black steps, the brush just touch like feather. Sweep, sweep, sweet, side-to-side sway, Gene Kelly from side to side, when then and there beneath the stomp to pedal, and hold, repose, and pop again finger water rain on the little keys of this kingdom on this piano, too big to get in the gin joint and up these stairs, how the hell are we going to fit that all on this little stage in the corner? With the beautiful shine like onyx, baby, it's you. It's beautiful you, singing baby grand. Somewhere behind the beat, somewhere there in a single note, a voice that brought it all, whisper sometimes, howl, alive, she cried. We was together, and the beat took all the trouble, and like a child, threw it into the air like confetti. For us to scramble up and tease a tune Night after frightful and dangerous blues jazz night Round and round it goes where it stops Shit, we knew that too Right here again at the bottom beginning of it all The last place that light and color was seen And we, mad driven in the scene Scrambled down the rabbit hole Chasing a hair and a waistcoat With a pocket watch Like a hipster pimp with feet too big for spats And a young blonde girl With dress, the color of sun-lit lavender, dream, still dreaming, one, big, within a dream.
0: The final poem in our brief tour around poetry spoken here for 2017 is 911 11 by Laura Boss. She reads it on episode 55, and I'm particularly happy to provide a platform for her and for this poem it's important that some of these things that poetry can do are recognized, acknowledged. And poetry is very, very good at documenting from a personal point of view, and that's what this poem is, a specific, personal, detailed account of Laura's experiences around 9-11. She's a successful poet, and if she got recognition for this poem, she didn't feel right about that, if she'd published it right away. So she held on to it for 16 years. And now it is published in her latest book, The Best Lover. Here's Laura Boss.
7: 9-11. From my apartment window, I see the second tower burst into a giant flame ball. Something's wrong. Two towers don't get hit within 10 minutes. I watch the black smoke spreading over lower Manhattan. I think of so many of my neighbors lined up at 710 this morning for the bus to Wall Street from this New Jersey apartment building perched on the cliffs of the Palisades above the Hudson River where the view of the New York skyline is so astonishingly beautiful that I don't have shades on my windows. The phones are not working. I take the elevator down to the bottom gym level of my building, remembering grade school air raid drills and going to the basement level. The television is on and the confusion of the women in the gym echoes my own. I decide to walk to my doctor's appointment since the idea of not showing up and not calling to say I wasn't coming seems unthinkable, although everything at this moment seems unthinkable. I decide to walk the two miles since it's it's impossible to call for a taxi. My street is closed to cars by police cars blocking the road. I'm suddenly afraid to walk on this major thoroughfare, thinking something might happen here. This doctor has been seeing me for post-traumatic stress from a car accident. Today he only sees me for a few minutes, though he takes notes, and then we both go out to his waiting room to look at the TV. Things are worse, if that's possible. The Pentagon has been hit by a plane, and now the World Trade Towers have collapsed. Nothing seems real. I walked the two miles back to my apartment, seeing the black smoke filling the sky. I pass the Ann Klein Public School around 1130. Mothers are running toward the school, Some mothers already have their children and are pulling them away from the school and obviously home. I'm surprised to see so many neighborhood fathers are also there at the school, also taking their children home. I ask the school guard if there is school going on. She answers, yes. I hear a student tell her friend, one of the girls in my class's mother works in the first tower and her mother's probably dead. I run the last two blocks to my high rise Hundreds of people line my street. The boulevard is still closed to cars. I look across the river. The World Trade Towers are gone. I can't catch my breath, but keep running into my lobby and take the elevator to my tiny apartment on the 26th floor. I look out the window and see the void where those steel cathedrals rose. I keep thinking of the thousands of fathers, mothers, daughters and sons under those collapsed towers. My old college roommate calls, the phones are back. She's crying, where were you, are you all right? My older son calls from Washington to tell me he and his wife who works for the federal government are okay and checking to make sure I'm fine. My boyfriend doesn't answer his phone but I know he never goes downtown and is working on a project in his Upper West Side apartment. He doesn't call me and I'm amazed with all that's going on. This still bothers me. The smoke and smoldering fire are still visible, though five days have passed. It will be two more days before the principal of my six-year-old granddaughter's school will call to say Amanda Rose's first-grade deskmate's father is missing. Through my window, I see the Empire State Building is dark, where usually it's ablaze each night in red and green or lavender or blue and white or colors to celebrate a holiday or team or cause. But tonight it is dark, something I don't ever remember seeing. It is as, as if the now tallest building in the city is in mourning for New York, for the stockbrokers, file clerks, paralegals, waiters, and busboys from windows on the world, those cleaners with dust mops, and all the policemen and police women, EMS workers, and over two hundred firemen who now lie in the dust still rising like a nuclear blast over the city. Several nights later, I look out my window and see the blaze of red, white, and blue lights from the top of the Empire State Building, and I think that just possibly our trust, our spirit, though also shut off for a while, will return.
0: And there you have it, a sampling of the varied poets, and poems that were offered during 2017 on Poetry Spoken Here. Perhaps you'll be inspired to go back and check out some of those episodes if you missed them, or if you heard them, maybe you'd like to hear them again. I know I found it very enjoyable going through the podcast, selecting these uh, poems for you for this particular show. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Be with us again next time to Let Poetry Speak. To
3: you.
0: You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to Let Poetry Speak to You. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack rossiter Monley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Poetry Spoken Here follow us on Twitter at twitter.com poetryspokenhere here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.